In this episode, Ryan and I discuss why one would consider becoming their own banker. But buckle up, because we covered an awful lot more ground than that. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And we're just having fun talking about different things and inviting you in to listen. And we appreciate that you are listening. And uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we get into the weeds a lot about addressing certain either questions or objections or clients yeah exactly (laughs) client calls what people say (laughs) so you i mean the viewer can see what previous podcasts are about since this one is since whenever this one comes out but you know what we've not done so far i don't think is just talk generally about why somebody would consider infinite banking why they might study the ibc why they might consider implementing it so this is just a review, really, a discussion of what we believe to be the reasons one might get into IBC. And I think we'd said beforehand, we're not going to cover them all because this podcast won't last the whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so this is August 17th, right? Yep, 2019. Yep, 2019. So maybe this will be out by November, December. <laughs> we don't know. So really, it's why should I... Why should I even do? Why should I do IBC? Why should I even consider the infinite banking concept? Mm-hmm. Which I think that, you know, that's a, a fair and legitimate question. And we won't be able to unpack that in one yeah. one podcast. There's no way. Well, it's a necessary question, too, because it's important to frame how you think about the IBC correctly first before you take to the Internet, like the many bloggers out there who <laughs> offer their alleged expert opinion on infinite banking without knowing even what the proper way to think about it is, right? Yeah, but one would not have to properly classify their thinking about money to to consider the infinite banking concept. However, once you entertain the idea of considering the infinite banking concept, you'll quickly discover that... uh, most of what you read out there, unless you're reading Nelson Nash's book and his work and the work from the Nelson Nash Institute, and might I say our work, you're you're gonna uh, <laughs> the confusion is going to be compounded in my opinion because there are a lot of people talking about the infinite banking concept that maybe should stop talking <laughs> and start reading or learning before they resume talking. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not naming names or pointing out blogs or articles or videos, but I, and personally, Ryan, I count on the, I count on the listeners, viewers ability to separate the wheat from the chaff. I say it all the time. I mean, I, I count on and rely on the clients, my clients, your clients, our clients, their ability to separate the BS from, you know, (laughs) I mean, I count on that. So yeah, I'm just saying that. Once you do start entertaining the idea of, man, I want to research, I want to find, you know, is this really as good as it sounds or as good as it can be? Is it really worth considering? Yes, it is. And I'm just saying, once you go down, once you make that decision and you do the research, just like you mentioned, um, whether it's in blogs, and if you're reading, I'm going to, a shameless plug, if you're reading, if you're a reader, you pre- you prefer reading, you should go to medium.com yeah so i have a media i have a blog on a website 
called Medium. It was medium.com forward slash at Ryan D. Griggs. In, well, in, or really, if you go to Google, <laughs> you type in, like, what is infinite banking and put my name after there. I, I, one, of my, the, one of my blogs should pop up on the first page. Above the fold? I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't track any of that stuff because I don't care. Well, what'd you but, pay for that? But nothing, of course. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but I, really, I, I think mean, I am the only one on Medium talking about infinite banking. I certainly am the only one talking about it as much as I do. Sure. So if you're a reader, you know, Google Ryan Griggs and infinite banking, infinite banking concepts, or just go to medium.com and search Ryan to get Ryan D. Griggs. I've, uh, had, I've had people email me. Uh, I've read, I've got read one of your blogs about capitalization versus investment. And then I went down a rabbit hole yep. and read, you know, seven more. It's like, <laughs> Well, Perfect. Let's schedule your application. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really what happens. Typically, yeah. if someone's interested in learning more about the infinite banking concept, the the individual that that is really you know getting past the cursory videos out there that have the smoke in the mirrors, the pixie dust, and the fairy tales, and the rainbows, and the unicorns. Like, oh, if I move money from here to here. All of a sudden, I'm going to be wealthy if I leverage a life insurance policy to the nth degree and maybe buy another policy with that leverage. When you get past all of that, <laughs> um, and if you continue searching, you typically, I have found, you typically wind up at the Nelson Nash Institute in some way, yes, form, or fashion. You get, there, yeah. you get to the fact that Nelson created this concept, right? And, he, and then he added scale to life insurance. And I'm speaking directly to some things that are out there. So, oh, Nelson didn't create this concept. You could listen. <laughs> you can borrow against anything. And if you have equity in your home, if you have equity in farm equipment, if you have equity in a life insurance policy, which is what cash value is, uh, there's a loan provision in that policy. Is that something new? No, that that is two, 300 years old. What Nelson did is create the infinite banking concept. So once you start down the rabbit hole and you wind up at Nelson's uh, website, infinitebanking.org, not the infinitebanking.com that was hijacked, okay, infinitebanking.org, the author, the genesis of the infinite banking concept, then they, I see that they typically see an association that we've had, that I've had with Nelson, mm -hmm. and then they may reach out to us um so for the researcher the one who's really looking you're you're gonna see clearly that nelson created this concept yeah all right i'm just saying you gotta man you gotta walk over a lot of stuff to get to the good stuff <laughs> i mean and so my encouragement is to keep going <laughs> keep researching <laughs> keep digging and swap left whenever you suspect that you know something may not be clear mm -hmm. and and it's okay yeah right, so if I something didn't. feels off it probably is yeah looks like a duck quacks like a duck has wet feet yeah it ain't a deer <laughs> <laughs> but you know there is a lot of stuff out there that that uh adds to the confusion or doesn't bring clarity yeah or misses the whole point nelson never railed on and on or even a little bit about interest rates ever mm -hmm. he clearly says this is not about interest mm -hmm. rates so <clears throat> i don't know why people have to try to make it look better than it is you know trying to 
make policies extremely efficient by contorting the fire out of them to get an internal rate of return up and i mean it's that's just adding to the noise that is out there yeah in my opinion and i really do think the problem is and i think that it, the industry's accountable to the life insurance home offices they're also guilty um maybe by not necessarily maliciously but you know for whatever i mean like you say nelson's the one that created the concept it wasn't life insurance companies and i I think the reason is is that we just don't understand what the ibc is we don't understand why someone would do it the purpose of this episode and i mean for me it comes down to the idea of capital access and control over capital the the qualities of the asset in which you might strategically intentionally build capital right what, what, what are those why why would why would you want to build capital on one asset instead of another right what, what sort of things might you look at what criteria might you use to analyze which asset would be better right like you said earlier you can build uh, you can bank with anything you can build you can borrow against anything that's got equity in it right the house the business what have you but why why would you choose one instead of the other are there criteria you can i mean i think the answer i'm not trying to play games i think there are definite criteria you can use to analyze okay which asset would be preferable how do i maximize the value optimize the value that i would get out of a certain asset in which i'm going to intentionally build capital right and then the second part of that is understanding that a capitalization strategy the, the, the idea of building capital is not investing we're just we're not investing, and I think that's another reason. Like the people that we're not mentioning, but mentioning, <laughs> mentioning, we're talking about not mentioning. <laughs> yeah, uh, that th- one of the issues is they approach infinite banking with that uh, conventional financial planner or investment analyst mindset, where they try to consider, you know, the, like like you said, the rates of return, internal rate of return, all that kind of deal things you would use, criteria you would use to analyze investments, but we're not doing that. And, but I think uh, it's, it's be, as time goes on, it becomes more and more clear why that's the case, you know? Well, I think that uh, we're not mentioning anyone, we're not talking about anyone It's not in about particular. anybody else, yeah. It's yeah, just it's, about it's the in general, ideas out there. You know, the, the, what is out there. Yeah. And, you know, I have to, I have to live in the world of simplicity. It helps me. You know, it's a virtue, simplicity, brevity, um, clarity. The The fact is, banking is. All right, banking, the movement of money, money in, money out, deposits, withdrawals, um, checking, savings, you know, just the movement of money. As a matter of fact, I... We've all heard that, you know, the oldest profession in the world, and I disagree that what we commonly think is the oldest profession in the world is not the oldest profession in the world because somebody financed that. <laughs> I think banking yeah. is the oldest profession in the world. So the, my point is this, and Nelson said it often, banking is, and somebody is performing the banking function in your life, in your life, and they're profiting from that. Yes. This is about banking right and so yes now we get into assets can you can bank with anything why did nelson you know uh use dividend paying whole life insurance well before you jump off that let me interject because that's the okay it took me a while to for that to sink in like banking is and okay there's a it's a business and well businesses 
if they stay around, generate a profit, someone gets paid the profit, who's getting paid that profit, how do they get paid that profit, right? So, I mean, people should understand, it's a, a legitimate uh, value-added service to advance a sum of money Banking. in time to the individual, yeah, to, sure. to lend somebody a chunk of, that's a, a, it's giving you purchasing power you otherwise didn't have, right? And okay, if that, that's a value and it is, then there's a price for it. And so you're gonna pay a sure. price. And so the, whoever the, whatever the entity is that's doing the lending is collecting revenue for the service of extending loans, of, of banking. Okay, well, if they're making some revenue, they're probably paying some people, they have expenses. Take the difference between revenue expenses. Get they have income. gophers in the home office, yep. or in the headquarters, or and in the main office. And then somebody owns the company, right? To, and they're the ones receiving the the part or participating in the positive financial performance, right? Through the receipt of a dividend. You mean banks right? pay dividends? Okay, now go yes. around to how many bank customers, a businessman with lines of credit at the bank, a mortgage owners. Mortgage owners, mortgage, <laughs> mortgage debtors. Uh, no, somebody owns how, that mortgage. Uh, yes, but how many of the people who are paying, repaying those loans are also receiving the dividend? Are also benefiting yeah. financially from the fact that they are engaged in this bit that everyone's engaged in? Well, now wait a minute. Let's think about that because uh, you're getting to the point, or that banks pay dividends right, to the bank owners. Most of us do not own banks, so we don't receive those dividends. Right. But now, if I go, if I finance, you know, real estate through a publicly traded company, right? So I'm paying them the interest on the mortgage. I can go buy their stock if they're publicly traded, and I may get a dividend or a, a stock value appreciation, mm-hmm. right? Tax at ordinary income rates. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I can get capital gains on that. So, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, uh, but it's complex, and there's not any. Let me. (laughs) There's not any particular banks that I want to go own or buy stock in. I'm just saying that it can be done, but it's a convoluted way to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can do that if you want to, but man, if I'm running a business, why do I want to invest in another business? You know, why, why, why would I even want to go through that whole process? Because I like stocks. I believe the values are going to go up forever, you know, because all the markets are manipulated. Um, so I'm just saying that I'm just uh, uh, recognizing the fact that you could do that if you wanted to. Yes. If that publicly traded uh, mortgage lender pays a dividend. I mean, who knows if they even do? I don't know. Um, okay. Now, I didn't mean to deal, derail you there, but. Um, no, that's a good, valid point. But, and then you bring up the next logic one is why not just own that and the, why not own that function yourself <laughs> no question <right? laughs> and and why not even easier why not be an owner by virtue of being a borrower right why not why not be part owner of the of a, of a company of the entity performing the banking function simply by virtue of of doing business you were going to do any do regardless right yeah look if you if you think about that you re, you referenced a business owner it doesn't matter if you're a business owner or a family every family in america needs access to capital every business in um, around the world needs yeah. access to capital who's controlling that access it speaks directly to the banking function businesses need access to capital to function and be profitable who's the gatekeeper 
that's controlling the access to that capital. It speaks exactly to the very reason why should I consider? Why should I even, you know, go down this rabbit hole and 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 learn about the infinite banking concept? Why should I become my own banker? You yep. know why? Because of the that's just one characteristic of the banking infinite banking concept is I'm controlling my own access or the access to capital by contract a legal oh contract that's another uh virtue yes right why should i consider the infinite banking concept um it's based in contract law and fully private property fully right? not a tax qualified plan it, uh, it just it amazes me that we see the post office and the dmv and you know, just at normal people who aren't interested in political philosophy or whatever, but they see the problems in the education system and the healthcare system and you name it, anything the government's got its hands in is corrupt and inefficient, right? I'm shocked. But then we come to tax qualified plans and it's like, take my money. You can't get enough of, I can't buy enough of this. Yeah. Oh, I have a limit, I can't pay more. I can't get further into bed with the government for the third most important thing after God and family, namely your future, right, your money. I just don't, that, I, people would just jump clear over that. Yeah, and I mean, we kind of talked about, I referenced that as a, the paradigm, the construct that we're all born into without a choice. You know, I mean, we're 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 mm -hmm. surrounded by this noise, this constructed noise from cradle to grave. Yes. And and if you think, uh, okay, so James, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm a student of history. Okay. And and let me just digress for a moment. Mm -hmm. There's a, a a documentary that came out a couple of months ago that they shall uh, they shall live forever. They shall remain. It's a a, a British movie uh, okay so the british museum of history reached out to an award-winning filmmaker to do a documentary on world war one all right and i can't remember the the guy's name i'll try to find it and put it in the notes and links right they shall be remembered it was a limited release <clears throat> so i we went my boys and i <clears throat> and and so world war one if you think about out of all the all of the armies around the world going to war in World War One. I. I mean, huge loss of life. I mean, how did, how did those young men that were 17, 18, and 19 years old go across the world and fight for the against these Germans that were going to invade us? I mean, if you think <laughs> about that, if you think that through, um, and you know, and I've read a lot about Nelson was. Um, he got off Nelson on Nelson was huge into this. He was. And there was part of uh, the three projects that he was working on. There was some connectivity to Nelson one of those projects. Nelson knew more about like, military history and war than professors of the subject do. Oh, no question. And Okay, so my point is this. How did so many men in Europe, right, England, France, Belgium, Germany, the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, how did all of these young men just line up to volunteer to go to a great world war? They were surrounded in the noise from birth mm -hmm. that the Germans were bad people and needed to be destroyed and they were going to like invade us at any moment. And they didn't have the ability. And I, I may probably should cut this out. But I'm no, just it's saying. good. To, as you can tell, unscripted. Uh, 
But it's, it's not just that war. It's all of them. I mean, any government program. I mean, war is just a big government program, right? So a there, big government program. There's, right? there's always a, a how you being political? <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you're right. There's always a construct, and we're embedded in one. And the, the financial construct that we're in has no place for capital for, to address the importance of access to capital. Um, we don't even think about it. <clears throat> we don't think about it, and it's and it's oh, it's too complicated. You know, I don't know what to do. That idea is coddled and promoted by the financial world. Yeah, yeah. And then people is like, well, it's always it's always easier to do nothing. I mean, it's always easier to do nothing. Um, so I understand that I'm human. You know, I'm, I need as much discipline as probably more probably than most more. people. Oh, yeah, takes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. It, when you mentioned the the qualified retirement plans, the traditionally qualified retirement plans, you can't put money in that fast enough. Everybody else is doing it. That's the message that we get from all the talking heads in Wall Street. Um, but then the second place that you can't put enough money in fast enough is pay down the mortgage. Pay down the mortgage because you don't want to pay the interest, mm-hmm. right? So the majority of the Americans' equity is in the in stock market. Through qualified Mm -hmm. plans and then in their equity. Mm -hmm. Now, who's controlling the access to all that capital? Not you. No. Right. And then if you're running a business or a household and you need access to the your capital, your money, so you can become wealthy or live comfortably, you know, in retirement. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Literally whatever. Literally whatever. (laughs) And so here's I want to make one point that that if you thoroughly investigate um, read, reread um, about the infinite banking concept. You know, it may be possible for the all American average family to just live their life making the major purchases that they were going to make anyway, financing them through a dividend paying whole life insurance policy structured correctly with a mutual company that understands what's going on. And so it just may be because everything in the financial world is compared to what? Okay. And I'm just making a point that it, you, the all American average family business owner, may come out pretty well just financing your major purchases as compared to all of the other noise and encouragement of what you're told to do with your money from the investment world. Mm-hmm. Now, think about that and let that sink in. And if that's true, you should know about it. And if it's not true, you should do enough research to mark it off your list as not true. Absolutely. Even someone who's like, oh, this IBC stuff. I mean, you, I, I, think, I think it should be clear now that it at least deserves a full hearing. You should at least fully vet and get all of the questions answered before you move on from it. Uh, and I want to come at this from a different way. So suppose that you're like, oh, Ryan, you know, investing versus capital or whatever. You know, suppose you just want to do well with money in life, right? Oh, and, okay. And then you want to, we, we want to have the successful investments that produce a high return and all of that, right? How, how best should we approach the financial world? Well, you can do so from a position of little access to capital or from substantial access to capital. And this is this dichotomy is not even on the table for most people when they're thinking about how to approach investing. How, you know, how, what do we need to do before we even get there? Uh, be, because most people just by default approach investing from a position of 
severe undercapitalization, very little no access to capital, right? Get Make the money, earn, earn income, and as quickly as you can go invest it, right? Without at all exercising any control in the interim period, just dump it into the tax qualified plan, get it into the mutual fund, right? So says the conventional well, financial but paradigm. we gotta take advantage of dollar cost averaging. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, so, the result is, in that world, a few things. The investments that you're gonna lay eyes on are gonna be relatively limited in number, right? You can think of the list of the potential investments that the employer might give in the tax qualified plan. Well, if we're talking about list. qualified plans, now you have to opt out, right, when you yeah, yeah, okay. also, go get yes, employed. All, all sorts and, of problems. And then you're gonna, it's, the default is a target date fund. Yeah. Right. Mm. So an then beyond al- that, an algorithmically traded <laughs> mutual fund. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's weighted between equities and fixed or bond positions. So, um, and then the older you get, you know, that the bond uh, portion of the portfolio is greater I mean, than the equities portfolio. That. Just consider that. <laughs> you got these few money managers on Wall Street oh who gosh. have access to tens of trillions of dollars in these algorithmically traded mutual funds. I wonder if they're going to trade those assets in their favor or in the favor of the owners of the asset. I can't even believe you had questioned. Hmm. The, I wonder. Hmm. Is that the integrity of the motive I'm or, just the, curious. or the application? It's a curiosity, really. Uh, okay, so we've, we've got this list of tax... They're relatively few in number. Okay, they're going to be relatively homogenous, right? It's, it's all basically the same deal with a different brand name slapped onto it, right? This t- kind of portfolio or the, whatever the little special marketing names are. They're going to be mass, if not globally marketed, right? So you, a huge population is purchasing the, into these things, right? So consequently, the returns are smaller. <clears throat> than, it w- than it would be if you had access to a local, exclusive, unique investment opportunity, right? So my point is that it, even if we want to talk about investing, we have to ask the question then, okay, well, how best should I approach investing in order to get the best set of opportunities? Well, the way to do it is from a position of high, substantial, contractual control over capital. Um, and I just don't think you can disagree with that. People say that, you know, it takes money to make money. And they say that, that's, well, that's why people say that because they want a reason for why they don't make a lot of money. And so they say, well, it takes money to make money. And well, if you don't have a lot of money, then you're probably not going to make a lot. Until you get into the real estate world, you know, all the days become a a gazillionaire, you know, without, Oh yeah. Without Without ever leaving the house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be mailbox money. You know, you could be on the beach somewhere and, you we'll know, send you a check. You know, mm-hmm. apartment syndications or whatever. We'll show you how. No management problems, nothing. <laughs> but my point is, is, that's not necessarily true that it takes money to make money. I mean, what it takes is a capitalization strategy and the discipline to implement and execute. Ooh, it. now you're talking discipline. That's one of my favorite words. I know it is. I mean, it is. I think the word abdicate is also another favorite. It, an no question. of the responsibility to accumulate capital well now look if i if i if i put you know if i if i don't opt out of a qualified plan i'm not telling anyone to opt in or opt out of a qualified plan i'm just we're just discussing what's going on in the big wide world okay haven't i 
if I, if I just go along to get along, you know, if I'm just paying down the mortgage, um, which there's nothing per se wrong with that in particularly, and I'm yeah, and I'm getting the I'm getting the free match, you know, the free money from the employer because I'm participating in the qualified plan, and and it's all too complicated anyway, so I don't want to worry about it. You know, I have a my brother-in-law is a financial expert, money manager. Um, aren't I abdicating my responsibility in some form, some level? Yes. All right. Um, and that which uh, a side point, you know, one of the favorite things, one of the most common things I hear, and it's a default. Well, you got to have money to make money. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I have a financial advisor <laughs> in my internal question. And sometimes I can't reframe and it becomes <laughs> external. But yeah, but are you follow? Are you doing what they're telling you to do? Are you are you doing what they recommend? Then the deer in the headlights like, uh, no, but I have one. <laughs> <laughs> And that mentioned conventional financial advisors. I mean, I think they're part of the problem. The, and not intentionally, but the you look at the if you have some extra time on your hands, Google. Oh, we all have. The, We're <laughs> dripping with extra time. I mean, okay, well then take my word for it. Google the either take my word for it or go Google it. Pull up the various financial industry designations that one can get. Go find the particular college that issues them. Look at the coursework for those designations. Find the section on economics and go look at what's taught there. And who's who, who's it based on? I right. Mean, who, who did, you've mentioned their name. Nelson times. always used to talk about how, uh, for the longest time, it might still be the case that it's probably now Greg Mankiw, I would bet. But for the longest time, it was Paul Samuelson. They were using his textbook. This was a supporter of the Soviet Union, Nobel Prize winner, though, right? So whatever he says goes. What Maynard? Mr. Keynes. So Samuelson was a follower of Keynes, and uh, Keynes also, by the way, a pedophile, right? Oh, Just no question. Point the, yeah. Um, but so it's my, my point well, is, Why are you going to pick on him? I mean, if we're going to talk about <laughs> that. My, no, no, don't go down that route. Okay. <laughs> my, my point is that what they're taught doesn't allow for, there's no theoretical or intellectual space to even get their arms around what it is that, to even get their arms around what the problem is. I mean, I I don't even like discussing tax qualified plans in the same like paragraph as IBC because people get to think that, oh, you could could do this or that. You could do IBC or tax qualified plan. No, they're, they're in two different categories. The tax qualified plan is an investment strategy. It's something else. IBC is about capitalization. It's, it's categorically distinct, right? Theoretically, you could do IBC, build up substantial cash values, take a policy loan, go, go to town on your mutual funds, right? So you could do both. There's evidence that they're not alternatives. Well, they're, then it would be my choice on what I do. If I wanted to do the mutual uh, funds or I wanted to do um, my wife's new car or my granddaughter's education or whatever, or all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I got to say, look, Keynes had no problem with access to capital, you know, being the government crony he was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can't, how can you, and being a pedophile, how can you even, how, how can you even think? You, you, you're you not even thinking, you're you're mentally not even, you, he, I, I'm sharing my opinion. Someone <laughs> like Keynes wouldn't even have the ability to think like you or I are the all-American family. 
I agree. So. I agree. Uh, okay, so maybe we could. Maybe it's okay. Yeah, maybe you've listened to other podcasts. You listened to the last whatever half hour, however long we've been talking to you today, and you're convinced. Okay, well maybe there's something to this. Maybe I should be building capital. Well, one question you might ask is, where should I do it? Okay, well IBC takes place through dividend-paying whole life from the mutual life insurance industry. So on the one hand, dividend-paying whole life is older than the country, right? It's a it's a very old idea and it hasn't changed much there's all sorts of financial engineering to attempt to mutilate it along the way but at the core ordinary dividend paying whole life insurance from a mutual insurance company still has basically the same characteristics that it's had the entire time it's been around right so you might say that it's a tried and true asset in which to build capital and then you look at the life insurance industry the company, these mutual companies that provide the product have been around for over a hundred years. Many of them, not all, but many of them, right? And they've also paid dividends for each one of those hundred or more years, right? So think about that. A, a, a comp- companies in one of the oldest industries in the world that have probably one of the best track records when it comes to consistent positive performance positive financial performance. Okay, well, where else could be better let me, let to me build capital? Let me expand on that if I can. <clears throat> Over 100 years, here it is, 2019, right? And most companies, just like you're referencing, has um, paid a dividend. That means that they had a positive financial experience in the year that they pay a dividend. All right, now let's look at that. And I'm not, this is not comprehensive, but cursory. 1893, a panic. Then you had South Africa, the the genesis of World War One. Mm-hmm. All right. Then you had a panic of 1907. Mm-hmm. Then you have 1910. Mm-hmm. All right. And then and then you have World War One. Okay. And then you have the panic of 1920, 1921. And I think Bob Murphy, Doctor Murphy, just wrote an article. I haven't read the article. I've seen it. The uh, depression that you've never heard of, something like that. All right, and then you have the crash, the depression, 1929. All right, and then, oh my gosh, there some shenanigans going on too in the early 30s, 31, 32, mm-hmm. 33. The Gold Confiscation Act, the Banking Act of mm-hmm. 1933. All right, then you have World War II. Then you have the Korean War. All right, then you have, let me see, what do you have after that? You had a market correction in the early 60s. Then you get into the Vietnam War and the oil crisis. And yep. the Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods Agreement. Yeah, 71. yeah. 44. No, 71. We just passed the uh, anniversary of April 15th, 1971, when Nixon slammed the mm-hmm. gold window shut. What a deal to us. Oh, my gosh. We're not going to sell you gold at $35 an ounce anymore because we already shipped it all to you. Okay. The, the monetary shenanigans that were going mm-hmm. on we fully came off the gold standard in 1971 april 15th all right and then um the late 70s well we had stagflation around there in the 80s, right yeah then we have 81 80 and 81 right we have some market panics in 87 and 89 and then in the early 90s and then the recession of or the dot bomb dot com bomb whatever <laughs> 
2000 mm-hmm. and then 2008. And these companies, when you say, and they have paid dividends for over 100 years, I'm just pointing out some of the Through monetary all of that. shenanigans. And did you know, and, and, I, and I don't have a uh, documentation of which company, but I'm under the understanding that a life insurance company paid dividends in gold mm. in 1930. I'm sure they 31, did. To make a point. <laughs> I mean, so <clears throat> I'm just drawing out over 100 years, these companies were successful, profitable, and because the policy owners are part owners of the company, they paid dividends. And now what are you going to compare that to? Give me any other industry, any other you know, institution that's not a government contractor or a yeah, NGO, right, that's know. been that successful. Well, I've been asked before, you know, just <clears throat> theoretically, could you, do, could you do IBC in the way that you can do it as optimally as you can in dividend-paying whole life with any other asset? I mean, we have, we have touched upon that you can borrow against the value of other assets. We get sure. that, right? But beyond that, the perfect collateralization idea, the notion that, that when you <laughs> borrow against the value of the asset and the lender of that money is also guaranteeing the value of the collateral, okay? That, when that occurred to me, <laughs> it's like, you know, let that sink in for a second. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Anywhere else. Anywhere else. It's only in life, and so it's not as if, this is a gimmick for life insurance sales. It's not that we happen to be life insurance people. It's like, oh, IBC is a way to talk about it. Listen, don't pigeonhole me just because I write life insurance. I'm a father, <laughs> a brother, an uncle. Well, know, what I'm saying is that, that business we, owner. We can if if the idea mentor, of capitalization matters and student. it does. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> if the idea of capitalization matters and it does, then it and it becomes a matter of where is best to do it and in what asset should we do it. If you go through the list, you end up at dividend-paying whole life, built appropriately. You know, right? my my addition to that is the lender is guaranteeing the underlying asset. Yeah. You know, that. think about that for a minute. Beyond what, you know, they, they cannot make bad loans. They do not make bad loans. I'm not saying they can. The life insurance company does not make bad loans. Number one, they're uber conservative. Now, I'm specifically talking about policy loans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 100% collateralized. All right, 100. The loan is 100% collateralized. Now, this is a company that you're an owner of lending money, and so those loans are 100% collateralized. And then even the loan growth, the compounding of the loan, if interest is not paid on the loan, the loan is going to compound. Right. Well, the outstanding loan is ultimately collateralized with the death benefit. Wait, I have to pay interest on policy loans? That we've talked about that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. And Wait, you I, can, I can directly contribute to the revenue generation of a company I own that pays me a dividend? I can directly I can do that? support the profitability of a company, therefore indirectly supporting the profitability and the stability of my policy? And the growth of my capital? Wait a minute, and I can get it cheaper than, you know, eighteen twenty. I see, I see, listen, I see lines of credit at 9, 10, 12, 14%. And, and these are, I'm like, uh, 
legitimate businesses, right? And I'm like, why would you ever pay that much? <laughs> well, because it was so easy, you know. It's, it, it was it was uh, uncollateralized. He's been my banker for years. Yeah, it was just yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to go back to the uh, Nelson, and 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 he tells his story. And I know most of the people listening and or watching have read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And my encouragement is to go ahead and read it again. <laughs> um, he discovered that uh, that life insurance, after paying high premiums, he was paying $18,000 a year in premium. And I know we've talked about this, but not everybody listens to everything we've you know done. So Nelson here repetition. in 1980 was paying $18,000 in life insurance premium. You know, A.L. Williams would stroke out if he knew that. <laughs> Oh, he could, okay. And, Usually I'm the one name dropping. <laughs> you know, God bless A.L. Williams. You know, he's, uh, last I heard, he's off the Florida Keys drinking my ties, you know, mailbox money. God bless him. All right. I think your point, and, and we're, now I'm specifically talking about what went on in the 80s when there was a collusion between the senators and the term peddlers and Wall Street to beat up single premium life insurance. Um, and I'm giving you the background because Ryan Griggs made the great point that the only thing uh, worse than a weak argument is a weak defense. Mm. And the life insurance oh, companies, yes. oh, oh my gosh, delivered a weak defense. Okay, now rolled over and played dead. I think they were paid. I know some of the like some of those companies were demutualized shortly after mm. that. I mean, come on, we can, we can connect some dots there without. Okay, all right. Nelson, after paying $18,000 a year in premium in 1980 as a real estate investor, you know, he, he did one deal, one deal, he never seen the property, and he took his family to Europe for 30 days off of the profits of one real estate deal. All right. But, oh my gosh, something happened that he couldn't control. You know, and I and I jumped smooth over the Resolution Trust Corporation in the late 80s in the oil crisis when I went through that list of uh, monetary and economic uh, oddities or turmoil. Turmoil, yeah. Okay. So interest rates go sky high. Nelson's leveraged out the nth degree in real estate. A man who understood real estate and leverage and money and sound money. Okay. Um, and, and all of this is in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. But what he leaves out of that, you know, there was partners in the deal. That when 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 the economy went bad, interest rates went really high. You know, one of those partners bankrupted on him, and he doesn't talk about that in his book. So what he's showing in 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 his book, becoming your own banker, leaves out that seven hundred thousand dollar partner that filed bankruptcy. And Nelson didn't file bankruptcy, and that's part of the reason it took him fourteen years to get rid of the snakes and dragons. Now you just seven hundred thousand dollars today. You think, well, that's no money. Eighteen thousand dollars. That's not a big deal. This is in nineteen eighty. So I don't know. Times that by three. Mm, now at we're least. Uh, okay. Two point one million dollars. Somebody bankrupted. Now we're okay. The man has some cojones, but because of all this great pressure, and there's some other things that happened in his life personally, um, because he was paying such high premium, eighteen thousand dollars a year, he had a lot of cash value, and he had contractual access to that cash value, mm -hmm. guaranteed by contract. So instead of paying over 20% in interest, he had guaranteed access to that capital at 6, 8, and 
So he quickly discovered, suddenly, right after all that pressure, um, life insurance has more characteristics of a financing entity, of a banking entity, than it even does of life insurance. Think about it. It's a life insurance product. And it has more characteristics of a banking entity than even life insurance. So that's the genesis. So, you know, so uh, I'll, I'll stop there. I don't want to keep going and calling people out that, no, Nelson didn't discover it. Okay, well, you tell me what he did do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and he delivered. What he did do is add scale to what can be done with life insurance um, and, and promoted this idea that you could become your own banker ever since, you know, yeah. up until – couple of years ago and so one thing i want to point it's valid to bring up nelson and one thing nelson always brought up that so few people doing ibc today ever bring up is that if you are involved in the conventional financial industry then you are part of the problem of fractional reserve banking Oh, you mean if okay. I go down to the bank and i'm asking for a loan which you know one of the tag a, a tagline i think on your email yep. address is banking is evil or banks lend money that doesn't exist and, the, and that is evil and the final so this is the last i believe is the last think tank nelson spoke at mm-hmm. and yep. i remember him getting up and saying point blank to a room of 160 people most of whom were not as interested in anything about morality or political philosophy as nelson <laughs> was right and he go says it point blank banks lend money that does not exist and that is evil and it is. And so one big reason to implement the infinite banking concept is that is so that you can stop being a part of the problem. And there's not a, it's not a trade-off. I'm not asking you to make some sacrifice for the greater good or any of that. There's, we just went over the last 45 minutes all the, well, not all, but many of the oh, individual no. personal reasons that you, and familial reasons that you might do infinite banking. So it's not a negative trade-off. We're not asking you to sacrifice anything. But, oh, by the way, when you do implement this uh, value-added capitalization strategy that will improve your financial performance, whatever it is you're doing otherwise, it'll add to it, right? When you do that, you stop contributing to the fractional reserve banking problem. And what do we mean by that? Okay, you go to a conventional lender, you <laughs> request a loan, they'll put you through the ringer, ask you all what these What is your number? Your get credit the credit score. check. Get, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you, you limp out of that process and, <laughs> and then they grant you the money. Okay, well that, that money, prior to it being lent to you, didn't exist. Okay, if, look, if I were to lend money to James, with money, if I were to lend money to James that I previously hadn't received from anybody else, we'd call that counterfeiting. Okay, so in the in the practice of fractional reserve banking, these commercial banks, these cartelized commercial banks, have the legal privilege to counterfeit money. Okay, that's what caught. Why is this important? Okay, that's what causes. The business cycle. It's the reason we have recessions and depressions. So look, if you're thinking about, I don't know, your friends and family, your community, the next generation, the generation after that, you know, if you want to be a part of a solution to, I don't want to sound too grandiose, but to literally build a better world where fractional reserve banking is less of a problem. Worthy goal. Well, then getting into IBC might be the way to go. Might be, is the way to go. Yeah. 
I, I must say that uh, Nelson, you know, saying that, which is true. He was unafraid to say it is no my question. main point. And I just want to add. Nobody else wants to touch it. Yeah. Oh, listen, listen, they charge interest on the money that didn't exist when you sign your John Henry. So it's evil compounded. Yes. I mean, it's like, it's yeah, so I lend beyond money. immoral, beyond evil. It's like. Oh my gosh! What could be worse? Couldn't oh wait, worse. Uh, being a pedophile like Cain. And then when you fail to repay, I'm going to come take real property you have left. Real assets that you have traded your God-given abilities uh, and rights, or, uh, time, intellect. You know, abilities. You you've 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 exchanged your time, which you've taken. I say this often. Look, if I'm going to spend eight hours at work, I'm not spending eight hours with my family. So I'm taking family time or whatever it is I'd rather be doing than working, right? And I'm putting my God-given abilities and talents and intellectual and health and in 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 exchange for that, right? That that value. There's and it's an equal exchange or a valuable exchange. I mean, I'm a uh, I'm an ANCAP, okay? I'm beyond <laughs> free markets that don't <laughs> exist, okay? Um, now that's real. Right, my education, my experience was real. It cost me to accumulate yeah. that. Now I'm exchanging that, giving value, delivering value, and I'm being paid for that value, right? So when I sign that, my John Henry, and this money is created out of thin air, and I'm going to pay interest on that money, that's fully collateralized, right? Oh, no, it's an uncollateralized loan. Okay, your, your signature is a personal guarantee, 99.5% of the time. And if you have a loan that is non-recourse, you're probably one of the people, one of the boys, the good old boys club, and in, in which <laughs> generally that's not most of us. Yeah. No. Okay. So that uncollateralized loan. I'm collateralizing, I'm collateralizing it with everything that I have created. You know, I've exchanged my God-given abilities and talents for to accumulate for the benefit of myself, my family. And okay, think that through. It's beyond evil. So they're going to lend you money that didn't exist, and that money didn't digits mm-hmm. or money, right? That didn't exist until you signed on it, and then you're collateralizing that with real, real assets. assets. That's oh my gosh! And so when you get tired of that, that's a very good reason. <laughs> You've been on Skid Row once or twice in your life. You're very tired of that. You know, you read Nelson. I mean, uh, you can get very tired of that. Somebody else controlling you beyond your. Um, you know, so there's some point in time that you come to realize it's like, oh, my gosh, we really are living in a paradigm. And once you go down that rabbit hole and you're like, uh-uh, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was a bankruptcy or I've not filed bankruptcy ever. I mean, I've been on Skid Row a couple of times in my life and I don't like it. Right. And so I don't want to be. So once you've gone through some hardships and if you're in business, you've gone through some hardships. You've needed access to capital that somebody else controlled and therefore you didn't have access to that capital or it came at a very high price. And when you get, kind of get tired of it, you know, that's a very good reason to start maybe considering that there is the idea, there is the ability to become your own banker. All right. And Wait, then I have to read a book. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. More than one would be okay. And reading some of those books more than once would be preferable. Now, let me say, once you get going down this idea that, look, if I put money somewhere and I can get all of my money back. I mean, that's, that's a win in today's financial world, okay? If I can get more out than what I put in and have additional benefits, um, that's even better. Wait, on a guaranteed basis? Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, this not knowing what to do in the financial world, this 
The infinite banking concept gives you clarity. It gives you a path. It encourages and supports your discipline. Yes. Okay. And then it, it's better than most of us realize until we get going down the path. Because typically when somebody starts, you know, we're always looking over our shoulder like, this is too good to be true. What's wrong with this? What am I missing? You know, is Uncle Guido going to show up? But once you pass all that, it gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, no, no, no. This is not only OK to put money into a properly structured life insurance policy. This is the place my money should reside. Number one. Right. OK. And then, my, oh, my gosh, when your confidence level goes up and your and your, your comfort level goes up. And now all of a sudden, I don't give a damn what my number is. You want to judge me by a credit score? Seriously? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then, wait, I don't have to be part of the problem. And I'm not saying that we can't, you know, we can become our own banker overnight and finance everything that we're ever going to purchase in life. No, but, but I'm going in the right direction. Greater than zero. All right. It, as you were talking about that. It, wait, wait. But then it brings clarity. Mm. Now, this, I don't know what to do. No, no. I do know what to do if I want to because I have access to capital. And I don't care what the market's doing, what the interest rates, neither of which you can control and that are completely manipulated. I mean, I don't have to live in a manipulated financial world. What what is that worth? Even in this chaos, even in this monetary chaos, you don't have to be a part of it. And then here I am. I have children and grandchildren and maybe great grandchildren. We haven't even talked about that. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you accumulated all this capital. Now, Now, how about the next generation? Right. Oh, Pass on mass. Even efficiency. the people, even the people who don't understand life insurance, understand that life insurance is the best way to pass on capital to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, now, then, look, and we you didn't, end, we and didn't you end up passing on more than you ever would have thought you would in the first oh, place. Oh, that's one of the first things I discovered with the infinite banking concept. You know, look, I've been in the financial world t- over twenty-eight years, life insurance agent, blah 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 blah. I discovered about three to five years into my infinite banking practice, which is you know been doing this for 15 years and so you would think i would know this i practiced <laughs> in the life insurance industry for 14 years million dollar roundtable producer active in organizations designations i mean i'm participating i am not sleepwalking all right i this is what i just one of the many things that i discovered you wind up with more death benefit at natural mortality with the infinite banking concept than you ever would have sought to buy life insurance you know i'm going to go buy life. i'm going to buy a million dollars in term or two million dollars in term whatever the case may be when you practice the infinite banking concept you wind up with more death benefit at natural mortality than you otherwise would have mm. and by god if the life insurance companies didn't know that i don't believe them. <laughs> absolutely by gosh i mean that's by yeah. gosh if the life insurance companies <laughs> didn't know that i don't believe them and i trust the life insurance companies about as far as i can throw them but oh wait a minute it's a contract right. now my comfort level all of a sudden goes through the roof mm-hmm. well you talk about clarity and the simplicity that infinite banking brings i mentioned it before but i'll say it again that i have a friend who you get light bulb moments nelson used to say ibc is more caught than it is taught and when somebody catches it it's, just, that like, ca- it's just like catching you can see it on their face it's like oh mm-hmm. my gosh i it happened to you click. oh absolutely it happened to me yeah and right. so light bulbs going off and you can even hear it in their voice on the phone it's like Woo! oh I, uh, yeah so he's, the octaves change I, I, exactly exactly and, and so this this individual a good friend of mine is like i get it and then he said it just makes things so simple oh. all you got to do is go out and use your god-given 
talents and abilities to go generate value for somebody else, serve others, make as much money as you want in your life, however much you want to do, go do that, and then you know where to put it, right? As a, now, now compare <laughs> that scenario with what is really an intimidation strategy in the conventional financial world, no right? Question. The market is volatile. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Oh uh, no! We, you know, we, yeah. There's a at the you and me level. We don't know what's going to happen, but there are some people that may know. Oh, sure. But you happen. certainly Not don't, you. right? You individual employee, employer, whomever you are, you don't know. And the market's dangerous. The uh, if you look, if you glance at a chart of the S and P 500, you can tell that those swings are a little more dramatic than they used to be. Uh, there's a reason for that, but. Oh my God! So it's a it's a fearful landscape, and we're pretty much ignorant about how to navigate it. So in order to protect us from our ignorance, we should diversify, right? <laughs> give your give over control of your capital to somebody else, assets under their management. So the all the trading and all the fee generation that that produces can benefit somebody else and not you. And of course, a lot of that money's in tax qualified plans. So there's tax consequences to even trying to use the money, right? All, so everything is structured in this intimidating setting <laughs> where you're backed into a corner and, and people capitulate to it and it irritates the life out of me. You know, it's kind of like you see, you're like a, the big kid on the playground, which I was, and other kids are getting picked on. Mm -hmm. Oh my And gosh. you kind of want to go over there and just, sort that out you know uh -huh. yeah, yeah. it's the same kind of feeling i get that's why i get a little excited about when i talk about there it's a it's a fear-based intimidation approach to getting people to give over control of their finances to somebody else keep your head down keep going nothing's going it on here just should, it pisses me off yeah now you mentioned bullies when i was very young you know i'm the youngest of four so you know we all ran around with kids that were older than me you know, so I was bullied somewhat until mm -hmm. my sister, you know, squared him away. But as I grew up, I can't, to this day, I cannot stand a bully, period. Mm -hmm. And it is intimidating, yes. the financial construct, that is on exactly purpose. exactly what it is. You know, but we'll give you a right hug and make you that. not feel too bad so you can, you know, engage this. Well, you got to dress it up, right? So the nice cars, the nice offices, the nice suits, the nice scripted presentation that uh, somebody <laughs> else taught him, right? That he didn't come, he, she, whomever didn't come up with. Yeah. Ooh, if I say these magic words, they're going to like pay a premium or put some money in, mm. make a deposit, you know, make an investment. It's just, and then, but, but I'll say this too. <laughs> We're going to go there. Okay. On the one hand, the intimidation strategy of the conventional world irritates the life out of me. Mm -hmm. Then you go into the alternative financial practice oh, world oh my where gosh. everything no. is rainbows and ponies. And it's just, oh, we just want to help create value and work together <laughs> and everything's great. And I, no, it's not. No, there's a whole system out there that is ripping you off and it should irritate you. It and does. And if it doesn't, then it there's does. a lack of understanding. I'm just putting it out there right so it no it's not oh fun and games no it's there's people out there who are malicious the system is not designed in your favor nope. don't know if that's news or not but oh but wait i'm a fiduciary oh. <laughs> listen we, we've gone over i mean we may have to wrap this up or you know continue cut it, cut up, it up do whatever, whatever. I, and and so when you say alternative though Right, the alternative investment world. Yeah. Where the rainbows and fairy dust and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, leprechauns are. 
Does that exist in the infinite banking world too? <laughs> you you really want to go to you? Huh? <laughs> I'm just saying there is an alternative. You know, cryptocurrencies. You know, foreign farmland, European farmland, yeah. mango farms in Panama. Um, there there is a, a whole. Um, I mean, that, there's a big world of foreign, <laughs> for well, it's true. There, there's a whole world out there of alternative investments, right? Yeah. So now we're talking about using life insurance, right? And it's a, a money product, you know, in, in a personal economics. So it's kind of an alternative thought mm-hmm. process to begin with whenever oh, yeah. you well, get yes, past life certainly. insurance and death benefit, right? Okay, so I'm just saying... Does some of those rainbows and leprechauns and unicorns exist in the infinite banking world? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then, then look, I'm not mad at anybody. Don't get that idea. I know I come off a certain way, and pe- you know, I'm sure that, that wow. But, no, wait a minute. No, here, let me, let me expand on that. There are some people when we talk about different things, and we've touched on a couple of things in this podcast that um, we've expanded on in other podcasts, yeah. right? And so if we talk about a particular um situation or concept or idea of what's going on financial people um uh kind of reach out to us and say hey are you talking about me and i'm like no are you guilty I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so we're not talking about anyone in particular right. we're talking about really not it's, it's the underlying ideas and this is my problem if everything is happy-go-lucky unicorns and fairy dust then to me that communicates that there's there's something's been missed because there there should be an edge it 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 should if you're in the world of money you you should be a little pissed off most of the time because the deck is not stacked in people's favor and and look nelson was a perfect southern gentleman he was kind and polite but he also had the fire and the the integrity the character the passion that he and he would use it he he would call out the problems and look murray rothbard and (laughs) switching over subjects a little bit you get into political philosophy let's get into political philosophy (laughs) so my favorite economist murray rothbard austrian school economist his position was look to motivate the masses to get on our program to understand libertarianism to do some reading you've been wanting to right? talk about libertarians for a while <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> for only one hour in too so, so he used to say that i'm not quoting it all but his position was when it came to any kind of marketing or branding or anything tactical or any of that that he wanted to show people to explain to them that they were getting ripped off Yes. And they are. You are. And that that's how you motivate. That's why he was so successful, to the extreme irritation of the highly distinguished intellectual academics currently residing in certain in certain universities across the country. He was. That's why he was so successful as a promoter of libertarian political thought was because he knew that in order to be successful, you had to explain to people how they were getting ripped off. And so my point to you is that same thing that you're getting ripped off. And my dear, dear libertarian <laughs> friends who understand that already, should I encourage you to start looking for a solution? And I did a blog recently. Wait a minute, if we find a solution, then we can't talk about the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and if you find, but if you do find that solution, by gosh, you might, should implement it. Look, that, that 
<laughs> I love that. Um, and I learned this a long time ago, and many of y'all, you probably heard it, you probably know it, but I want to bring it up here. Um, especially in sales, sales background, you know, it's like you can't get most of it off of you. Oh. I mean, it's sales is a uh, can be a manipulative process. I love salesmen. Don't misunderstand me. I love salesmen. We go shopping. I want a salesperson. I want a professional salesperson, okay, personally. Um, and I expect them to be professional. They know what they're doing. They have experience, and I embrace that, and I enjoy that. Okay, I want someone knowledgeable and that is paid well for their knowledge and therefore my experience, mm -hmm. short and long term. Yep. Okay, so <clears throat> there's primarily two motivating factors, you know, fear of loss or uh, I want to say greed, but I don't really like the word greed um, for gain. All right. And which one's greater? So let me ask you. So let's say I called you at 2.30 in the morning and said, Ryan, man, there's an incredible opportunity. You know, we can buy uh, Bitcoin. Oh, gosh. It's <laughs> stacking the deck in this example. I, know, I, don't, I don't want to stack the deck. Okay. I call you at 2.30 in the morning, and I'm, I'm like, Ryan, uh, so, you know, somebody wants to give you a brand new car, right? That's exciting. Mm -hmm. right? and you're, you would probably say, James, it's 2.30 in the morning. You know, can you call me in the morning? Right? Yeah. All right. All right. Now, let's say you have the brand new car, and I'll call you at 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, Ryan, somebody's stealing your brand new car. By God, you'd be out yeah, of bed. Thanks of for bed. the call. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. The fear of loss is more intense than the prospect of a positive opportunity. Right. And Rothbard is like, you're being ripped off, right? And educating that. It's like, it's almost not real. It's not immediate. You know, if I call you at 2.30 in the morning because someone's stealing your brand new car, I mean, that's immediate. You need to get out into your front yard, get out the door or whatever and stop that, right? Um, but in, in the financial world, in this construct that we live in, you know, you're, you're dying a death of a thousand cuts, whatever that, mm -hmm. you know, you're dying a very, you're being bled to death yes. over a long period of time, very slowly. Well, my God, that's how a, a, a tick can live on a dog. Yes. You know, it's a long time. But you put enough ticks on the dog and the dog will die. And, and I'm and I'm reusing the tick, the parasite, and the host because big government, constructed financial world, they're parasites and we're the host. Mm -hmm. You know, we're being bled to death over a long, slow period of time. Mm -hmm. It's like boiling the frog in water. You know, we've all heard that. Throw a frog in boiling water and he's going to do his best to jump out mm -hmm. put him in cold water and turn the heat up slowly we're boiled frogs oh that's so good yeah, straight from nelson that's so true and <clears throat> which is another thing too we were talking about alternative things and you know fairy dust and education and and make things making things look better than they are um you know it just it ticks me off whenever people talk about the infinite banking concept and they're the expert and the guru and mm. they never met Nelson and they haven't read his books mm -hmm. or understand that becoming your own banker is so not about interest rates, rates of return. Um, does that mean life insurance is bad and it doesn't have an internal rate of return? None of that. It is good. It does have an internal rate of return, and you can compare it to everything that you do. But whenever I read books and, and they don't mention Nelson or they give him a cursory mention in the back of their first book but mm. no, nowhere in their second book, or they've come up with this great idea, or it just I just shake my head, and it's like they're part of the problem. 
Yes. That, that you know. So you, you, you mentioned one thing I wanted to touch on, too, about the intimidating conventional paradigm. And it, what came to mind as you were talking about it was the normal sales pitch. You know, they have a sort of – and, and they vary company to company, but they're all kind of the same. There's usually three phases, right, they tell you that you're going to go through. So phase one, you should get necessary protection, right? Insure your assets, get the homeowner's policy, the umbrella, all of that stuff and then once you're out working earning income over the course of your life that's your accumulation phase that's the second phase right you're building up <coughs> assets of course suboptimally but whatever you're building up assets and then in phase three the last phase the idea is to distribute the those accumulated phase. draw down those assets right okay so get an idea of what that chart looks like in your mind it goes up right over time you get accumulate more financial value and then towards the end of your life now that value goes down okay to me what that means is you're putting me in an economic class and programming me to think that i'm staying in it right i'm going to accumulate some wealth i'm starting where i'm i'm starting where i'm wherever you happen to be right and i'm going to accumulate some wealth over the course of my life then i'm going to draw it down mm-hmm. right so i'm going to return to where i'm starting right just later on mm-hmm. and we've financed the interim period mm-hmm. as opposed to ibc right which right. is a constant steady guaranteed exponential curve up and to the right on to eventually there'll be a little blip where you'll pass away and then the a new curve will start over again at a higher level and continue to go straight up okay so that to me sounds like a a, a projection a, a, a path a, a way of thinking to where I want to transcend the economic class that I'm in. Oh my gosh! I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to just accumulate and then draw it down and leave and have my kids be in the same scenario that I was in. Like, no. I how about we, how about it all should be better from here on out, right? But what, how how would you ever fit that into what is fundamentally an intimidating approach? What do you mean fit that into? Well, that's, well, that's that, positive. That's like, that's look, a, no, things, th- things can be better. No, that's exactly how you fit it in. Wherever, you know, I, I did a talk one time called Meeting the Client Where They're At. And, and I understand the improper English and grammar. But that that's exactly my point. You know, we're all doing what we're doing for whatever reason, on purpose, by accident, out of ignorance or unknowing. We're all doing whatever it is we're doing. That's exactly where you start, Right where the client is, where we're at, where you're at when you discover this idea and you research it and you vet it and you decide to implement it, right? Wherever you're at, that's where you're at. And you can exactly bring in this idea of what you just went through Mm -hmm. of uh, transcending the financial construct. Oh my God, I love that. I think think we should title this podcast (laughs) Transcending. Um, but it was supposed to be simple. Why would we even do this? But I think if you listen to this podcast, this is exactly Gosh. why you should do it. I mean, but let me let me also say that, yes, that can be brought in. This idea of tra- transcending the financial construct where the exponential curve continues beyond your life. You know, now we're talking generational, page 7071 in Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, an even distribution of age classes, which has its background in forestry and Austrian economics and life insurance. It's two or three pages. It's, oh my gosh, you can't read that enough. I mean, Mm -hmm. after you read it a few times, it's okay to go back and visit these things that Nelson pointed out. He wrote very simply, very succinctly, 
Um, and they're, so I'm just saying they're easy reads. Okay. We actually do have primarily, fundamentally, in our financial life, an accumulation phase, right? But now the financial world has put us in this box that we need to retire at age 65 or 70 or whatever, thus ending the accumulation phase mm-hmm. and then going into the distribution phase. You know, so you can transcend that, and it is possible to accumulate beyond that, you know, 60 age 60 65 or 70 Mm -hmm. right so my point being is that we do have typically an accumulation phase and a distribution phase and that makes very uh, um, simple sales concepts for the financial salesperson let's accumulate this away and then distribute this away Um, you can transcend that and you can accumulate and distribute at the same time and and Mm -hmm. an efficient Mm -hmm. manager beyond more than one generation and that absolutely transcends this financial construct oh but wait and then i get to be free and independent when it comes to money on top of that oh and 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 i'm controlling the banking function as it relates to me in my life oh my gosh because i'm not using all these financial products that limit my access and my control and increase the risk and increase the fees and you know put that bridle on (laughs) oh my gosh okay listen we can keep going i got a couple of trigger words that i can throw out and get you going (laughs) (laughs) i think we touched on a lot of them i mean capitalization versus investing capitalizing is good it's going to improve your approach to investing whatever it is you're doing we didn't even touch on much of entrepreneurship but you know the reason that the major financial companies don't even discuss it the reason it's not on the table the reason people are encouraged to just go be an employee somewhere nothing wrong with that right my mom's an employee but nothing wrong with that but the reason that the idea of entrepreneurship isn't even on the table is because you got to finance that kind of stuff you got to you have to capitalize for it. you have to utilize capital in order to finance some entrepreneurial venture into existence and so if a capitalization strategy accessible financial value if that's not part of your strategy well then of course entrepreneurs any kind of entrepreneurial ventures off the table right and that so that i think that's a big reason why there's this that you talk about the construct of look go go to school get good grades work hard graduate get a job work hard make some money retire poor and then eventually graduate get right a part-time job <laughs> yeah uh but i think the reason that entrepreneurship is left out of that conversation is because we don't talk about capital if you don't have a if you don't have a conversation about capital yeah, well, that's part of the reason and, and and two what what does the financial world uh provide to the entrepreneur other than loans third-party capital mm. you know and then and mm. then you know uh shares or participation in their uh opportunities i mean what does the financial wor- world really provide the entrepreneur access to capital and exposure to their opportunities which fits in the paradigm that we have just talked about yeah, yeah. right so yeah there's a lot of things that we didn't talk about Entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is mm-hmm. one that we should like i don't know rail on for about 40 minutes sometime not today um or not in this and the, in, here's in, another one too for the people who don't like whole life uh it's naturally inflation hedged what Oh my gosh! We, we didn't talk about you pay you know, in the same or a decreasing amount, and you get more and more benefit. <coughs> now wait a minute. Let's say I'm paying um, a round number for me, 
you know, $10,000 a year in premium. I don't care if it's paid monthly or whatever. My example, I'm paying in $10,000 over my lifetime, which completely blows up this pay four, pay seven, pay 10, and go buy another policy. No, I want to pay as high a premium as I can possibly wrap my mind around for, for the longest possible. period possible. Now, think about this. And, it, and it's the same with the mortgage, okay, <laughs> the, this I'm paying in ten thousand dollars a year. What is it? What is ten thousand dollars going to be worth in fifteen years? Throw out a number. You're an economist. Come on. I don't know. Not much. Five, half of half of what it is now. Yeah, if we're lucky, fifteen yeah. years. Yeah, that's maybe, yeah. maybe, or a third. I don't know. So let's say half. I'm paying in ten thousand dollars today. The purchasing power of the ten thousand dollars today in fifteen years, that same ten thousand will have about a five thousand dollar. Purchasing power. Uh, purchasing power ability, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I'm paying depreciating dollars in premium, and my cash value is appreciating, accumulating, <laughs> compounding forever. So, you, wait a minute now. You think about this. You you want me to limit how much I can put into a policy 15 years from now? Oof. Oh, my gosh. The people who talk about that, pay 7, pay 10, you know, oh, get everything you can in the first year in cash value and don't pay. You're violating Nelson's four fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And you're also violating this this truth that the purchase, purchasing power is decreasing in the future. Those dollars are going to be worth less. And therefore, you're limiting if you do short pay or limited pays or whatever. You're, you're stunting that. You are limiting. You're stunting. You're retarding this exponential curve that can go beyond your life into maybe first, second, third generations. Absolutely. I mean, so. just a th- g- paying for something with depreciating dollars and getting more of it back. That's a hedge against that, inflation. I mean, it shouldn't even be, it's, it's honest, like, it doesn't even sound possible. Like yeah. I, well, I, draw I, me a chart out. Draw me, you know, <laughs> draw me a chart. Give me some numbers. That's, okay. that's I want to plot that on a like. That's what I'm asking cumulative for. Cumulative premium. I think it'd be yeah. a pretty picture, but yeah, it would be a pretty picture. All right, uh, we've I'm I've discussed my full page of notes. Oh, I I made notes while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had fun. I hope you did too. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and and we'll see you next time. <laughs>